Good morning. This is Richard Chang. I'm your host for the Sativa segment. We are recording episode 11. Um, before we get started, um, as usual, I'd like to say that this episode is fueled by Dads at Peace. It's a men's resource center based here in Dallas, Texas. If you want to find out more about it, go to Facebook, and there's a Facebook page for Dads at Peace. Um, today, we have a guest. His name is Andrew Escamilla from Herring Bank. Right, Andrew? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Herring Bank. Tell me a little bit about Herring Bank. Uh, you know, we met a few years ago, but when we met, it was at a conference and I never heard of Herring Bank, right? And you came up to me along with some of your other coworkers and we just started, we started, we started um, talking and created some dialogue and off we went and developed a relationship. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning stages of the uh, of the hemp industry. It was back in 2019. I think it was the uh, the Lucky Leaf Expo in Dallas. Which is funny because I'm actually going to Lucky Leaf next month to speak in Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. So uh, brings me back full circle for when you and I met. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've been involved in the, several of the Lucky Leafs in Texas and even out of state. And so, um, you know, it's just brought a lot of tremendous opportunity and exposure um, just to let people know about who we are and what we can do for them here in the industry. And so a little bit about Herring Bank. Um, we're actually a very old community-sized bank based here in Texas. Um, we were founded in 1899 um, by uh, Colonel C.T. Herring, who was a rancher, a farmer, and also um, you know built a lot of hotels out in, in West Texas. It started in Vernon originally, and now that they have That's a lot in of West Texas, isn't it? It Vernon, is. Vernon, Texas? I used to drive through that when I... Uh, lived out in West Texas. Yeah, it, it is It is Texas country town out okay. there. I, I visit every now and then. Uh, and so, I mean, it's been family owned ever since. And, um, you know, they've they've just uh, really been open to the opportunity to, mm -hmm. to work in this industry, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting position for me to be in. And I really enjoy what I do. Okay, so how long have you been at Herring Bank? I've been at Herring Bank for uh, almost five years now. Um, you know, I've, I've had banking experience previous to that, but, uh, originally I came in uh, at the Grand Prairie branch as the customer service manager, just kind of managing the operations, you know, sales and, and all the, everything that goes on in the building is what, what my responsibility was. Got it. So Herring Bank obviously, um, has some tradition, has, uh, the legacy goes back to Vernon, West Texas and, um, small community bank. Right. And suddenly you join and you decide to get into the cannabis industry. Tell me about that process and how the bank decided to just dive into the cannabis industry. Well, I think the uh, the leadership of the bank saw it as just so much potential and a growing opportunity. Um, as the Farm Bill passed, you know, the 2018 U.S. Uh, Agricultural Improvement Act in 2018, mm -hmm. 2019, I mean, everybody's talking about the industry and how they can get involved and Really, um, our bank was was open to it, and we were attending expos, making a lot of connections. Um, but really, building that bridge of how do you bank this industry was was a process because it was all new. And so we embraced the opportunity. I remember having meetings, and uh, we started in April of 2019. So shortly after the farm bill passed, we had already decided we were going to participate in it. And so we were having meetings about what is what is hemp, what is CBD cannabis in general. And, and for me, that was all new. <laughs> right. And so I was, it was a learning experience uh, just to understand what this industry was that was coming, not just to Texas, but to the United States. 
You know, I remember meeting uh, you, I guess, shortly after you guys got into it. It was around September or October of 2019. And I don't know if you recall, but um, we met at a Starbucks. And then shortly after that, I had a chance to speak with your compliance people within Herring Bank. And uh, just talking to them um, made me realize how, uh, I guess, how much, how many resources that banks like Herring are, uh, they're dedicating towards compliance and really dedicating the time and the expertise to understand the system and to, uh, to do it right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, with that said, it sounds like your bank has certain protocols, certain processes. Has anything really jumped out at you and said, oh, I'm surprised that they're, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to do that? Um, I mean, since the beginning, we've been very open to the industry. Um, as you said, compliance is a big part of any bank that mm -hmm. you are a part of um, regulations federally. Um, so we're, we, we don't work in the industry, but we work directly with the industry and kind of building the bridge between the requirements of, of you know, CBD and hemp, mm -hmm. the legalization on a federal level and a state level, because state has their own re regulations, and then the banking regulations that we have to follow and how do we make those two work together. And so that's what I'm very proud of with our program and our team is that we have people that have worked with the industry for, for many years or in the industry. And so we, um, we, we stay very knowledgeable with, um, with the folks that we deal with. Okay. And we'll circle back to your bank because I do want to ask you more, but, uh, but really I want to get to know you a little bit more as well um, because I know we've known each other for a while, but tell me about how you got into banking and where you're from and your educational background. Okay. Well, a little bit about me. So I'm actually, I've lived in Dallas all my life. I'm actually from Oak Cliff. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's my hood. That's where I'm from. And um, a little bit of background, how I got into banking. Well, I've always been involved in, in sales to some aspect. I've worked with, uh, I like working with people, but I have a very diverse uh, work experience. So um, in the very beginning, uh, I, had this entrepreneurial idea that came from my father about mowing lawns in the neighborhood when I was 14. And so he was, yeah, I wanted to buy Jordans and Nikes and things that, you know, were just overpriced that we couldn't afford as a family. So I would push my lawnmower and build my customer base and, and just earn some cash and spend it all on, on stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had about nine or 10 client clients that would, I would go to on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, I did something similar when I was about that age. So I, I, I had my own, lawn mowing clients in, in did the you yeah that's yeah. awesome it, it's such smart money because when you're that young you're you're looking for opportunities and uh you know it's hot in the summer people's grass is hot they don't want to go outside or they don't have a lawnmower and you come at the right opportunity mm -hmm. and i i took advantage of that <laughs> yeah i mean it wasn't fun mowing in 100 degree weather right but when you're 14 15 and you know you just want to make a buck uh, i think i like charge maybe 20 bucks for a small lawn 25 for a larger one Think twenty seven for a corner. Well, I don't know what you did, but um, mm -hmm. it, it's not bad. Yeah, when you're like 14, 15 years old. Um, so you had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you, how did you transition into banking? Well, where was your first opportunity in banking? Well, um, years later, I was working part time. At, this is a funny story in retail clothing sales, or not really even sales. I was just uh, I worked for Banana Republic, and I was in the stock room. Okay, and so. The way I got into banking was I sold a pair of shoes to a lady. So <laughs> I saw this. Uh, she's a friend of mine now. Her name's Alina. And so she was walking around 
looking for a pair of men's shoes. And so, you know, normally I just handle the back room and, and stock checks and filling uh, clothing that needs to be put out. And so I, I just said, hey, you know, do you need some help? Can I, you know, and she needed some men's shoes. So I went back and forth and just just helped her out. Mm -hmm. And so she said, oh, well, actually, um, she's like, I'm a manager of a bank at Compass Bank. She's like, I, I here's my card. I'd like to hire you as a teller. And I was just like, she's like, I like, I, I love your customer service. You're very friendly. Um, you know, I'd like you to come work for me. And I just thought, okay, well, what does a teller do? You know, I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. <laughs> banking or, uh, or this bank. And so it just kind of led to, uh, you know, her interviewing me and me getting hired as a teller back in uh, 2007. So that's when my banking career started just as a, as a teller in the local branch. Well, you never know who you're going to find at Banana Republic, right? <laughs> you never know. Yeah. So I got, I got into banking by selling a pair of men's shoes. <laughs> hey, you know, weirder things have happened, right? Um, so you go, you get into banking and you join Herring Bank about five years ago. Um, now let's really talk about how, you know, the transition into cannabis and let's really talk, dig a little bit deeper. Do you know the dialogue and really kind of the, the, the the backroom conversations about the decision to get into cannabis and how that decision was made. I get asked that question sometimes. I mean, I wasn't in the backroom, but I know that our bank was. I mean, they saw this as an opportunity. They saw the long, the long picture. I guess you could say. And um, you know, before banks were advertising, before banks were going to expos. I mean, we were one of the, one of the first ones. To really focus on the CBD and hemp industry, but there there had to been some resistance internally because it is a it, you know it is an industry that had been historically stigmatized, right? Yeah. And then you have the 2018 uh, um, 2018 farm bill that passed, and that kind of opened up the floodgates for a lot of banks. Um, but were were there any internal politics that you can talk about? I know that you know obviously you're an employee of, of Herring Bank, but were there any internal resistance like, hey, this is a little bit too risky, or we talked to this bank and these are some of their challenges? Um, can can you talk about a little bit about some of those discussions? Well, I'm sure I'm I'm sure folks had their reservations. Um, you know, me myself, not really understanding the industry, I thought, well, CBD, I guess everyone's getting be getting high, and you know, I really didn't understand what it was. And so that's why they really worked to put out um, really good information at the very beginning, understanding what hemp was, um, how it was legalized, how we saw this as an opportunity. We, we saw it for an opportunity to grow our customers. I mean, our, our slogan is relationships for a lifetime. And so, um, you know, really educating internally what, what just happened, um, what the hemp industry was why we were getting into it, you know, really building relationships and seeing that being part of the future, um, you know, a new industry that, that started and, and us wanting to um, take advantage of it. I mean, really be in the forefront of it. Now, um, help me understand how banks um, track and file the SARS and what triggers it. Tell, tell us a little bit about that because I'm sure there are listeners out there who really, they're not aware of some of the challenges that banks have, which banks are super regulated, right? And um, you do have certain obligations to the Department of Treasury to file um, certain filings if you do encounter something that may deem as suspicious. Um, tell us a little bit about that process, if you can. Well, I think that affects just 
any business in general, as far as banking, I mean, it really, I mean, you know, the same standards are going to go for any bank and any, any industry, um, with, with cannabis, you know, there's, um, there's the, the full cannabis side, which mm-hmm. we have analysts that will oversee activity and just make sure we're in compliance with, uh, federal guidelines on how we need to do that. So that it, it's more intensive on the full cannabis side, uh, on my side, because it's been federally legalized. Um, it's not as, uh, you know, monitoring, not as many reporting, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still monitor things like licensing, uh, lab tests. That's something that I look at almost every day. Is the You're only- talking about the COAs that's produced by the labs? Yes, the certificate of analysis, because, of, you know, in reality, the only thing that makes hemp different or makes it federally legal is the 0.30% THC on a dry weight scale. So... Right. Um, one of the things that we look for in working with customers is transparency. And so we look for what products are they selling? What's the nature of their business? Who are they selling it to? How are they selling? And do they have lab tests to show that their, their products are Mm. compliant on a federal and a state level? And so, um, you know, we, we understand that if the customer is able to be transparent with us, then they're able to be transparent with their own customers who are buying their products, crops, whatever it is. If a customer doesn't have lab tests or isn't getting their license requirement, we can't do business with them because we're really trying to work with the industry to stay within the guidelines, both federally and on state level. So I guess let's let's walk through the process, okay? Customer walks in. Andrew, I own you know a CBD shop, whatever, whatever hemp business that they own. I would like to get lending. I would like to open up an account. I would like to open up a line of credit. Is that a yes to all three, depending on what you find? Walk me through the due diligence process for a client and what are some of the typical questions you pepper them with? So typically, and it's a little bit differently because um, I have customers now, not just in Texas, but in about 30 states. Mm -hmm. So most of the time it starts with an email or a phone call. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of interview the customer, find out the nature of their business, introduce our bank, what we do. And really, it, it, it's more of a get to know. We, one thing in banking is you need to know your customer, know who they are, know what they're doing. And so there's an initial interview and in finding out just who they are, what they do, hearing their story. And I always appreciate having those conversations. It's not just like a banking, you know, um, drilling them. It's just really trying to find out what they're doing in the business. And so, you know, certain questions I'll ask, you know, are you a retail shop? Are you e-commerce? Are you a manufacturer? Are you a farmer? You know, what, what do they do? I mean, we have mm-hmm. customers from farmers to retailers and everything in between. So really understanding that and then, you know, kind of going to the next step of documentation collection, you know, corporate documents, things like that, lab tests. Um, and we try to move very quickly in reviewing everything. Uh, I will share this. You know, most of the time when customers get to me, they've already been shut down or turned down by two or three other banks at that point. Why uh, is that typically? Well, the national size banks are not openly participating with any type of cannabis banking at all. Um, why is it so hard in banking? Um, there's risk. It is still considered a high-risk industry because of the percentage being the only thing that determines its legality uh, and also reputation. You know, some banks do not want to be associated with anything that's cannabis-related, and so they just, you know, if if customers are banking through them, um, they'll just they'll just shut it down. 
do they ever come to you and share with you some of the um, some of the feedback that the national banks give them on why they've been denied or what they told them are some of the challenges internally? They do, and I'm I'm a lot more sympathetic for people because I've met a lot of people in the industry from all different industries, doctors, attorneys, engineers, mm-hmm. and they don't really they don't understand how hard it is in banking because they'll they'll get all their ducks in a row and then they get to the banking piece and that's the biggest you know hurdle and so. Um, I understand that people are, are they're scrutinized by other banks. You know, they're they're made to feel like they're doing something wrong, and so I just try to, you know, I hear all the time, "Wow, I'm really relieved I talked to you," or "This is a breath of fresh air," and so that's what I enjoy. I enjoy helping people and helping them navigate kind of the banking landscape and, and whatever it is, if it's banking, if it's payment processing, if it's lending, mm-hmm. just kind of understanding uh, what what the model, you know, what their business model is, what they actually need. Um, on in, in even future needs because they may not need a loan right now. They may just be starting up, but it's something in the future that we can visit as they need to continue to expand. So as you're getting to know your customers, is there like an internal playbook or checklist that you have to follow and say you ha- you're trying to find out this, this, and this? Or is it more of a, a fluid dialogue that you have with your, with, with your um, prospective clients, that is? Well, it's actually a little bit of both. So okay. Uh, going back a little bit, so back in I think 2020 is when I first actually started um, handling CBD customers. And what happened was, you know, we had this product, we had a CBD commercial check-in account, um, but really building the framework of how that works. Like, what do we collect? What do we ask? What do we monitor? Mm-hmm. And so, um, talking with a lot of people in the industry, just trying to educate myself. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier. You know, one one gentleman that was. Uh, very valuable, a good friend of mine, James Johnson Jr., JJ. Yeah, shout um, out to JJ. Shout out to JJ, okay. <laughs> uh, I think he has a few nicknames out there, uh, the uh, the Hemp Pimp and the uh, Captain of Cannabis. I mean, there's a lot of names out there, okay. He's- you know, we just talked last night, and I, I again, I think I told you earlier, I already find, I already found out something a little bit uh, different about him last night through just conversation, so good guy. Yeah, very good guy, and so I met him at the uh, very beginning of – kind of me handling the program. And I did so on a volunteer basis. I mean, I was just like, you know, is anyone else going to do it? I was like, okay, I'll, I'll help. Yeah. And so conversations with JJ, um, really understanding, you know, the legality of it, understanding what a COA is. I mean, have you ever looked at a COA? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, what does LOQ mean? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, measure of uncertainty and all those things. And as more cannabinoids come out, there's more to kind of understand and research. And so we had very good conversations in the beginning um, that really helped me understand what what's needed compliance wise and why these folks, you know, why they're looking to get in the industry. So with a new client that comes to you, how, how quickly do you ask for a COA Uh, as a sample to review in determining whether or not they're a viable client for you? Well, we we try to work very quickly. So um, after an initial conversation, you know, we'll send them uh, a checklist of documents we need to review. Uh, So we do have an internal matrix that I helped create and design, just understanding the I think that's what I was getting at, right, Mm -hmm. is that you do have an organized fashion to say, these are the items that we need Mm -hmm. after that initial conversation. And then you send them the matrix. They look at it, COA being one of them. They send it back. Do you have a team that reviews that or do you review it purely on your own? 
Well, we, we have a team. So if I have questions that are above my head, I mean, I can definitely refer to, but for the most part, it comes directly to me mm. and I oversee the, the CBD and hemp banking portfolio. Um, and so since we, we know what to look for, what to ask for, we do have our own um, matrix that I cre help create. Um, we have a policy and procedure. So we have a lot of those things in writing. So we have guidelines to, to go by. Um, but usually I can get somebody reviewed and approved in a week or less, which is very quick for, on the banking side. Mm -hmm. um, some people will wait three or four weeks and then still get a no. Um, I'll, I, I like to keep the ball in the customer's court. Hey, here's what we need. Get it to me and then we'll get the ball rolling mm -hmm. so that they're not waiting on me. And you know, like I said, depending on how many packets we have to review, uh, we can get it done as quickly as they can get all the documents that we require. So tell me a situation where um, it's where a customer, potential client is kind of on the fence. You're like, ah, this is kind of risky, but I think they're a viable client. Tell me about that and what how you how you work that out and why they may be on the fence and they could straddle either way. That's a good question. So um, you know, part of vetting these customers and what their business nature and what they're doing and and how we do it is. Um, you know, really understanding it. So for example, let's say it's a, a retailer and they have COAs, but they don't match the products or they're from 2021 and we need something more recent because it, they basically expired. So, you know, rather than just turning them down, I'll say, hey, here's an alternative. If you can get me, you know, one, two, three lab tests to show that it's within compliance, um, then we can move forward. Or, you know, or missing documentation, things like that. Or, hey, you don't have the Texas license uh, for retail hemp, we need that to proceed. So it, it's really if they're willing to work with us to to meet those parameters, or if they're just like, well, I'm not doing that, or you know, yeah, then, yeah. then there's nothing we can really do to help them because. So what's the conversion rate on that? Let's just say like t t 10, 10 potential clients walk in, or twenty. What's the conversion rate from potential client to actually turning into clients. And, I, and to your point, some of that could, could be just lack of organization, right? They have the products. They ha they actually may actually have a viable COA, but for whatever reason, they can't get their hands on a most recent one. So that may not, that be maybe one of those situations where they could be a very good client, but because of lack of organization or lack of preparation, they don't become a client of yours. Um, just give me an idea of how what the conversion rate is on that. I mean, the conversion rate. Um, I mean, I will have let's let's just say ten conversations a week. Yeah, new prospects. Okay, let's just say ten. Probably five of those will move forward and actually providing documentation and you know all the things that we need. Some people I won't hear from again. Maybe they um, maybe they just don't have it or don't feel like it's worth it. Um, so. It's not that we turn a lot of people down. It's if they can kind of meet our requirements to uh, to onboard them. Okay, so they get onboarded. What are the, what are some of the more common products that they need? Is it more lending, or is it more lines of credit, or is it just like a, a, a basic operations account? What is the typical product they're seeking for you? Typically, it's banking. They can't get a, just a regular business bank account okay. um, because if it's, I mean, a lot of times their name is Canna or yeah, Hemp yeah. this, CBD that, and, right. and any other bank that sees it, it's like a no. They could even be a nonprofit organization, and if they have it in their name, they still get shut down. So we treat it as, you know, do they do they touch the plant? Are they a farmer? Are they a manufacturer? Are they a retailer? 
because we have customers that are in the work with the industry, but they don't handle the plan at all. And we can still bank them pretty easily. You know, we obviously don't need lab tests for that. And there's like that, like a tier two, one, two, and three, right? With uh, plan touching, non-plan touching, and ancillary. We we can't we categorize it that way. On the hemp side, it's really do they touch the plan or not? You know, okay. and, not- do, and do you do you bank people who do touch the plant? We do, yeah. You do, okay. Because I know there are some other banks out there who bank in this industry, but they specifically will only bank non-plant touching businesses, right? So um, we can do it all. You can do it all, okay. So just to be clear, Herring Bank is not only. Uh, doing hemp, but let's say if I was um, somebody that's associated with a state-sponsored medical cannabis program, that the product is not is not technically defined as hemp, and I come to you, do you do you say here talk to this person internally, or how do, how is that handled? Well, we have a you know whole program for that. We have a whole department of compliance people, so uh, it, it'd be a warm introduction. You know, if if the state has a legalized licensing program. Um, then we can certainly help them. So we have people in that department. I said, "Hey, here's so and so. Give them a call," and we we work very quickly to collect what we need and and get them onboarded. But based on what you've seen, that's um, that side ex- experiences more challenges, heavily more regulated, right? Yeah, there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of monitoring that goes on. Um, what what people don't also don't understand is banks have to staff for that compliance part. And so what, what also keeps some of the banks out of the industry is just the staffing that requires to maintain that program as it grows. Because once you tell people you're doing CBD, hemp, cannabis, I mean, everybody's coming to you. And so our, our focus has just been getting the word of mouth out that we work with customers in this industry. Um, we're happy to bank them and we can do it in a way that's compliant with what's you know required of us. Okay. Um, are there any type of clients you prefer working with more like retailers versus farmers who are cultivating hemp? Do you have a preference? I don't know that I have a preference. I, I, I have farmers, I have manufacturers, I have retailers. I probably see more retailers Okay, just because there's more people that are not actually involved in the cultivating part of it. Mm-hmm. They're just more or less, they've taken a CBD products. It's impacted their life. Now they want to get in the business. I see more retailers but I appreciate the farmers. I mean, I, I love asking them questions about their cultivation process and, and learning. I ask a lot of questions to people in the industry, and that's how I learn. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's an pro- ongoing learning process, right? As the, uh, as the industry blossoms and matures, uh, things will change. Um, at Herring Bank, is there beyond the internal compliance committee which I or the inter- internal compliance team, which I've actually spoken with a couple of them um, at Herring Bank, do you have a team or is it maybe you that tracks the legislation that could Im- impact the banking industry, such as the Safe Banking Act when it's, you know, as you and I both know, it's uh, it's been approved by the House seven times, never be- it never came to fruition. But is there somebody internally that tracks that kind of stuff? Yeah, we as a team, you know, we monitor um, bills that could pass or, or, mm-hmm. or affect the industry. Um, I myself do a lot of the monitoring on the CBD and hemp side because – as you know, it's not just the farm bill; it's it's individual states. I mean, they can uh, you know they can regulate cannabinoids, they can regulate limits of milligrams, licensing requirements. I think there's six or seven states that require an actual license just to sell CBD. Not all states do, so I, I you know I work to keep informed on updates in the industry. I mean, I would say this year, based on what we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of states that are going to pass additional 
legislation uh, on what's allowed in their state, which would, would impact the industry on what they can and can't do or sell. Um, there's the potential of the 2023 Farm Bill, which could regulate mm-hmm. everything. So um, one of the things I take pride in is is keeping up with those uh, regulatory things that are published. Um, also, the DEA will publish letters from time to time sure. clarifying what is considered a controlled substance or not. So, um, you know, I work to stay informed. I, I monitor a lot of things and keep up with folks in the industry that, that yeah. also post that. So um, I, it's challenging, but it's fun. Right. I, I like that it, that it's always changing and um, I'm always learning. Do you see the DEA's most recent post or their position on THCO uh, being synthetic? Because you, there's, um, you know, their position is there's not a trace of it versus, say, Delta A THC. There are traces of Delta A in the hemp plant itself, but THCO is is purely synthetic. So their their position is that unlike Delta A THC, which has been litigated through um, the Ninth Circuit um, Court of Appeals, um, THCO is synthetically based, and therefore they, they're taking an adverse position on it. Yeah, I don't know if you. You're, you, you I saw did. That. Yeah, yeah, we we keep up with any publication like that with the D. You know, with the DEA. You know, they'll publish things about Delta Eight or even cannabis seeds in general, and so mm-hmm. we kind of follow their interpretation of it. And so, yeah, the THCO. They even posted a picture of the molecule, saying, yeah, "Hey, this doesn't right. ever happen in the plant, so it's not protected by the Farm Bill." And so we informed all of our customers, "Hey, this this can't be sold. If you're selling it, it needs to be removed immediately." Um, and uh, you know, things like that happen, you know, one day, I mean, you're investing and buying all these products and then something comes out and it's not legal. Right. So I think, so what's it like closing down an account and just say, you're going to close down your account or you have to, here's a, here's a cure period. And if you don't cure it, then we'll shut you down. Yeah. What what is that conversation? Well, we work with customers and say, Hey, based on this information, publication or change in state law, um, you know, you're going to have to follow these procedures to, to stay in compliance. And so we work with people, give them a time frame, mm. and, um, you know, if, if a lot of times they're just willing to work with us and we'll, we'll get it, we'll get it situated. Um, if somebody's just absolutely like not paying attention, doesn't care, then I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Like we have to stay in compliance as a bank and, and we work to stay in compliance with the, with the industry. Right. And um, so closing down an account, do you just close them down and send them back their money? Or how? what is that process like and how long does it take if you had to shut down an account? If I had to shut down an account, I mean, we'd send them a letter or notification. I mean, I, I really try to talk with the customer and get them, um, you know, on the same page of what we need to yeah. be. If they absolutely just can't respond, then we'll just close them account, you know, close their account, send them a cashier's check and, and wish them well. That must be tough. I mean, <laughs> that must be the worst feeling in the world if you're uh, on the business side getting your account shut down. So it is, and and I'd say this. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to get your account shut down with us. You, you just have to just not be following kind of the same rules that everybody else has to follow, because um, we 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 bank a lot of people in a lot of different aspects of the industry. You know, we're not afraid of it, um, but these are the parameters that we have to follow as a bank, and that you know we know the industry standards are yeah and so we we educate people you know we say hey did you know this posted um you know and, and try to keep up we try to stay ahead of our, of our customers um even with regulators and and really keep up to date with what's being passed right um so let's talk a little bit about lending do you actually 
perform any lending to any of the cannabis uh, businesses? We can do lending on the okay. CBD and hemp side. Um, it's going to be the same requirements. Now, I'm not a lender, so I can't speak to underwriting, but right. um, we don't discriminate based on it being CBD or hemp related. We're not like, okay, you're hemp, we can't lend to you because we okay. understand it's been federally legalized. So it's really um, you know, among the things of asking for financials, proof of the ability to pay it back. You know, The days – so <laughs> back in 2008 – when the whole recession was hitting, you know, um, I was in the middle of that just starting as a banker. And, you know, in those days it was stated income and it was, you know, you have a hundred thousand line of credit and it was, you know, people didn't flinch about that. Now banks are required to show that, uh, the customer meets that ability to repay. And so, you know, people think that we're, if a bank turns them down, that we're just the bad guys, but it's like, no, we're trying to protect you long-term that you can, can can uh, you know pay the loan back? So um, we can do it. You know, it just depends on the, the the nature of the business situation. Okay. So if do you what type of assets do you do you guys use usually use as a form of collateral that you may put a lien on? Um, typically, we can do anything with real estate, um, vehicles, uh, certain types of equipment. You know, we definitely we can't use crops and we can't use retail products. It's Got to be something physically tangible. Okay. So just to be clear, you cannot actually say, I'm going to use your inventory or use some of your finished products as a form of collateral for, for the lending purposes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. The point, the reason I point that out is because um, I can see people in the industry trying to get a loan and say, well, you know, I have collateral. I have very valuable isolates, right? Or I have very valuable whatever products, but I would think, and I'm not a banker, is that you're really you 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 can't really look at inventory, but you may be able to look at equipment, right? As a, as a, as a tangible asset that could be a potential potential form of collateral. Yeah, that's correct. We can use other um, you know forms of collateral to help fund the loan, and um, you know one thing that's kind of overlooked is sometimes people have cash in the bank they don't want to use it we can mm. even do a, a cd secured loan and just borrow off mm. themselves and as they okay. pay it back at the very end they get their money back um you know they can we release the hold from the cd so we that's another um avenue that we can explore um you know it's it's easier than like let's say a you know um real estate loan but i mean we we have different tools that we use to try to you know help people get what they need can you use real estate as well we can okay so real estate, um, some you know non-inventory tangible assets, let's just say, i.e. Uh, equipment or like a CD secure loan, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, do, 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 does management ever get involved and say, um, no, we can't lend to these guys, even though they have all their financials and they have the, they have the right collateral? Does there anybody? Is there like an overriding mechanism up top that says, eh? Um. I don't know that there is. I, I think I would say that we're we're fair on our okay. assessment of underwriting. We don't discriminate and say, "Well, this person, we're going to de decline him for this reason." Sure, um, it would it would have to make sense just overall on our lending business model. Okay, um, let's transition a little bit away from the bank. Let's talk about the industry itself. Um, you know. Clearly, Herring Bank is, um, at least my understanding in Texas, it's kind of a trailblazer in, in the banking industry for, for for cannabis. But how do you see the the, the banking um, the banking industry change and evolve over time in cannabis in the next, say, two to three years? Well, I mean, I think that uh, it is continuing to grow. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are 
still getting involved in cultivating or even retail. And um, as far as the changes that I see, I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw what happened in the Texas House about changing the uh, the you know the teacup uh, parameters and you know things like that can happen. Yeah, I think uh, I posted something on LinkedIn. I think you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always on LinkedIn because I'm always keeping up with the the news updates and. Uh, you know, so that has the potential to open up more on the on their full cannabis side in Texas. Okay. I think a lot of people are eyeing that. Um, you know, also the you know if Texas passes a further amendments to the farm, you know, to their own version of, for for hemp. Um, that's yet to be seen. So mm-hmm. we definitely keep our eyes on that. We have to be versatile to adjust with the industry because a state can pass a law, they can do it on a national level, and we have to be ready to adjust. Um, to work with our customers and inform them of, of, you know, the requirements. So what do I see upcoming? I mean, there's a lot of talks about a lot of bills and a lot of things, and really it's just understanding that things can change um, and being ready to work with our customers and, and inform them of, of anything that, that the state decides. Yeah, you know, I, um, I can only imagine the industry, um, how it's shifted so much over the last, I would say, what, four years? Because at the beginning, it was a lot of CBD-driven businesses, right? Everything was CBD, CBD, CBD. But as the industry has evolved and matured and changed, then you're looking at Delta-8 cannabinoids, Delta-10, hemp-derived Delta-9, HHC, and all these other products that's uh, that's, uh, available on the open market. Um, has that presented a challenge or has that presented uh, any type of concern for the banks? Because with CBD, it was more, we'll just say, call, call it wellness driven in the sense that people eventually learned that CBD wasn't, didn't have a psychoactive reaction. But these other cannabinoids, they do, right? They're still, I mean, according to certain sources, they're still federally legal. But has that shifted the, the your your outlook or your bank's approach on banking uh, hemp products? Well, it does affect our bank's approach because we're going to follow not just the farm bill but state mm-hmm. regulatory uh, guidances on uh, on cannabinoids. Let's just say cannabinoids, and so you know what might not be legal in Colorado and California as far as the definition of legal hemp products, it might be okay in Texas. It might be okay mm-hmm. in Florida. Mm-hmm. But a state can have their session and they can pass rules. They can put, um, you know, restrictions on milligrams per package for THC. They can put restrictions on certain cannabinoids. They can say, hey, we're going to consider total THC. So really – Certain packaging requirements. Certain packaging certain, requirements. Uh, warning labels on, on the packaging. Yeah, and you're more familiar with the labeling. So um, I, well, anybody getting in this industry needs a good cannabis attorney. And so – <laughs> oh, thanks. I'll tell you what; those those projects are a bear to um, to deal with. I, I have uh, I've had several clients that want to do a fifty state survey, whether they're selling a beverage or a candy or some other product, and their goal is to sell it nationwide. And so, my team and I we would have to do these extensive research projects and create like this matrix and this grid, saying, "Well, these states have these type of restrictions," and. I'm I'm still I mean I shouldn't be shot but I'm always I'm always surprised by how much how many differences there are from state to state right and sometimes even differences between delta 8 THC that's hemp derived and delta 9 sometimes that's even different yeah that's very interesting it's funny because you see the other side of that you know their actual pa- packaging branding what they can do 
Um, and that, that's what makes the industry challenging. It's different from state to state. Um, it's possible that Congress will pass something this year. Maybe mm-hmm. FDI will get a, you know, regulate the whole industry. I'm all for regulation. I'm all for everyone playing by the same rules and, and being fair, but it's kind of the wild west right now. It's like state to state and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's challenging, but it's interesting. It's, it's really having to stay informed. And so, as you mentioned, you know, your, your labels and different products, what, what's something that you've seen that was challenging or interesting just on your end? Well, just, um, sometimes the definition of how they defined, uh, how they define packaging or if it's like a single serving or if it's like a package, like sometimes, um, certain states will have a definition of package of say, um, two items or more, right? That's a package. So in theory, if that's the case, um, a package, you can put two, three items in there, package it up, that's one serving, right? Or that's one package, but then you technically have three different servings. So I think I'm saying it right, that you have three different servings, but one package. And then they may have a restriction saying per package, you cannot have in excess of, we'll just call it 50, uh, 50 megs of um, Delta 9 THC. That's a limit. Mm-hmm. Well, um, in, you know, in, a, in a bordering state, you can have up to 100 but then that state may only have a population of X, whereas the more restrictive state has a population of Y that's substantially more. Then it becomes a business decision on which tar- which targeted audience or which targeted market am I going to focus more on? And what's the overhead on that? What's the cost of getting the, my products into that state? Are there any other licensure or regulatory issues that I have to manage while being in that state versus this state? Is it close enough where the neighboring state can go over to that state and bring it back? Right. (laughs) See, that's interesting. That's why I say that people are going to get in the industry. They need a good attorney to understand all that because you can be in Texas where everything's fine and dandy, and then you have a customer in Colorado, but what you're selling doesn't is you know it's not legal for possession there. Yeah, and Colorado is a very restrictive state. California is a very restrictive state. Um, I want to. I I don't want to rattle this off off the top of my head. It's either Delta Eight or Delta Nine. I'm pretty sure it's Delta Nine THC in the state of Vermont. It's um, it's flat out prohibited. So I had to tell my client, you can't, you can't sell it in Vermont. Um, you know, and, and then certain states will have different labeling or warning labels. Sometimes it's a, it's a yellow triangle with an exclamation point. Sometimes it's a yellow triangle with an exclamation point that, that says warning on the bottom, right? Those, those little nuances of creating, uh, creating those little warning labels that's compliant with that particular state. And then the question then becomes for a business is, are you going to make 50 different labels? Or are you going to make one label that contains all this stuff? So there are there are some considerations you have to you have to make, and then you know some states have warning requirements for pregnancy. Some some states don't. You know? Yeah. See, that gets a bit more complicated. You know, we 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 focus on the potency, on the COA, you know, on the just what what it contains. Mm-hmm. Um, but but on the sales side, I mean, they, all that's required, and and that's why and there's a transportation aspect of it, right? If you take a certain route. You know, what type of exposure do you have, whether it's taxes or whether it's just potential um, enforcement action? So, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the market's really funny depending on which state you're in. I, I still have, I can't, obviously I'm not going to name his name, but I still have uh, a client that I, that I recall. He had the most interesting situation to come up in Oklahoma. Now, granted, this person was driving down the highway with, you know, a duffel bag full of cash. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's not you know that's that can be kind of risky. But um, some of the stories I hear are are pretty wild. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's very interesting. You know, even from a banking aspect, I mean, I've, I've made a lot of friends over the years, different banks I've worked for with, and uh, I don't know anybody that does what I do. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, to, to work with the cannabis industry, to work with CBD and hemp is, is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. So I always have conversations with folks. Oh, yeah, this is what I do. And they're, well, what's that like? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's typically banking, lending, treasury management, things like that. Um, so I, I, I'm still in the in the banking industry, but I just get this really interesting, fun part to work with, I guess you could say. And I can, and you, you probably seen this as well, is that the industry is start is changing so fast. I mean, now we're looking at, um, hemp fiber, uh, we're looking at, um, different materials. Um, so you, now you're dealing with a slightly different demographic with industrial hemp, right? And then, um, now there are even more and more, I don't know if you've come across this with, um, you know, biopharmaceuticals or, or, or companies that's making products that's more medically driven through hemp cannabinoids because they're finding out new, um, new research all the time with uh, different forms of minor cannabinoids and, and even major cannabinoids with, you know, CBG inducing, you know, different types of anti-inflammatory effects or CBN um, that's, you know, that's, that's inducing better sleep, whatever, right? I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a botanist or a, <laughs> a, a chemist, but my point is that I think we barely scratch the surface on a lot of this stuff. And I think with that, you're going to, you're going to see new products out there, which I think it'll impact me. It'll impact you and how you approach it. Um, but I'm curious to, 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 to know in your opinion, what, what geographical markets do you see as the next big growth in, banking needs um geographically now we're always focused on you know the states that we we bank in which is texas we also have branches in colorado and oklahoma so we have our footprint there um i think when texas i mean texas kind of is a big big market in the industry i think and so really watching how they regulate it what opens up even changes with the compassion act you know i think that can really mm -hmm. grow the industry I mean, you know, watching surrounding states like New Mexico and uh, and Mississippi, you know, the program or Oklahoma, the programs they have. Right. Um, you know, I just I, I I'm all for you know for legalization and regulatory um, framework to just to keep everyone safe and mm -hmm. and open it up for for a lot of business opportunity here. You know, it'll be interesting to see how this legislative session comes uh, turns out because we're about a month away before session ends. Um, and of course, you know, you've already mentioned a few bills and I know a few that's being considered right now, uh, in the Texas Congress right now, but, um, so what's, what's next for, for Herring Bank? What, you know, any future strategies on how to continue, uh, continuing growth internally and in this industry? Well, we're continuing to grow, um, just by building relationships you know, mm -hmm. letting people know who we are, what we're able to do. We have a very good reputation in the industry. I mean, I don't attending more lucky lease. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever, whatever events pop up locally, you know, I like to show my face and, and yeah. meet people. Um, but really, you know, just, uh, you know, sometimes magazine articles, sometimes, um, you know, just working with partners in general that'll say, Hey, my, my client or my friend or my brother can't find a bank. Mm -hmm. Can you guys help him? And, you know, I'll, I always ask the question, how did you hear about Herring Bank? I saw you on the Observer one time. Did you? Yeah, it was a, it was a big cover. It was your, like, it was a full body shot. 
Yeah, it's funny. I I, I I find myself in different places. I think we were in the Texas Hemp Reporter also. Okay. Uh, we had a we had an article there, um, and then I asked people where do you hear about us, and they're like, "Oh, we Googled you," and so uh, you know, just having strategies so that you know when people look us up, they'll find we're a hemp friendly bank. You better up the SEO, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Well, um, you know, let's wrap up, and uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you for making the time to come down uh, to the studio and. Um, I think you certainly, we certainly touched on some really interesting topics within the banking industry. It continues to be a challenge, right? I, 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 I'm hoping that one day we don't have some of these um, challenges within the industry, especially for banking, because I know there are a lot of businesses that need people like you and need need the herring banks of the world. So, um, any last minute comments? Well, I just, um, I appreciate what I get to do for a living. I appreciate working with people. Um, I like helping people. And by the time they get to me, they're, they're kind of desperate. They're kind of discouraged. They're, they're frustrated. And I like being able to turn that situation around and mm-hmm. really help them launch their dream business. Like they just want to get in the industry. And um, so I appreciate it. So, you know, getting the word out on, on who we are, what I do for the bank, I think is, is beneficial for the bank to grow, but also for customers that can't find a partner to work with in this industry on the financial side. Um, so our strategy is to continue to grow and we'll grow and we'll, mm-hmm. uh, work with people even mm-hmm. as regulatory challenges come up, you know, we work with the industry and, uh, you know, it's fun. I'll say that it's very interesting yeah. to get to do what I do. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. I, I, it's great to be on your show. I've watched a few episodes and I'm, you know, it's exciting to be here. Well, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for coming down and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. All right. Thank you.